the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into our third hour. It's a delight to have in studio uh, as Monday's uh, Congressman John Shadid, congressman formerly representing Arizona's original 4th Congressional District for 16 years in uh, our nation's capital. He is the head of Shattuck Associates, and uh, we talk uh, politics, we talk policy. It's good to have you here, John. Thanks thanks for being being with us. I enjoy it very much. Uh, I think your audience is one of the most attuned to the issue of philosophy. And oh, wow. uh, I got to Washington, I got to Congress thinking that philosophy would drive everything yeah. and discovered that it almost drove nothing. <laughs> <laughs> There's room for a few, yeah. few, few philosophers there, aren't there? Oh, yeah, there are. I mean, there and uh, I became friends with the ones who were, and they became my close friends. Of course, the ones who uh, stood up for philosophy and were the ones that stood up for principle and yeah. said, no. You don't do this because it's wrong, yeah. you know, and and that was the issue. And so I had a handful of very close friends, and I had some members who hated me yeah. because they didn't want to get hung up on philosophy. <laughs> are you kidding? I need to bring this pork home. <laughs> smaller government, that's just – those are just words. <laughs> My job – there literally was a guy uh, in our conference who said that he got up every morning – and his first thought as he woke up each morning while he was still lying in bed was what pork, what projects, he wouldn't have called it pork, what projects or spending, federal spending, could he bring home to his district? And he said, that is what I do from the instant I wake up okay. until the instant I fall asleep. I view my job as looking for where and how I can figure out how to bring more federal government money back to my congressional district. Around the clock, seven days a week, 365 days a year. He said it was, in his view, the only thing he thought about, and he had an obligation to do that. I'm trying to remember (laughs) what biography of Ronald Reagan it was, but... You remember Richard Pearl? He was the deputy yep. secretary of defense in the Reagan administration. He said he woke up every morning asking himself, how can he make the Soviets' lives more miserable today? There you go. Now that I like. I like that. <laughs> and you probably woke up every morning thinking, how can I try and cut the government a little bit? How can I make the government smaller? Right? Something like that, probably. Yes. Combined with how can I make people freer? Yeah. And how can we convince people that if they are free— they will do better whether they're rich or poor or the circumstances they grew up under or whatever it might be that freedom enhances the greatest good for the greatest number of people. And second, that free markets do the same thing. If you look around the world uh, where there are free markets and free market competition, uh, people generally do better. And then the last one that I came to Uh, focus on uh, as I came on in years. Well, the last one about freedom went to my passion about uh, health care and health care reform. We don't have freedom in health care reform. We can 
pick our own auto insurance company, our own home insurance company, but we can't pick our own health insurance company because our employer picks it. And the reason our employer picks it is because the government makes it tax deductible if your employer buys it and not tax deductible if you uh, buy it. So uh, you think of the poor schlep who works for a lawn service and the lawn service can't afford to provide uh, health insurance. So for someone who works for a smaller employer like that, instead of giving them a hand up by saying, you get the same deal on health insurance as the person who works for IBM. We say to them, oh, no, <laughs> we're going to treat you miserably. We're going to tell you that your neighbor who works for IBM or, IBM or for Apple. Firestone, yeah. you know, putting tires on cars, mm-hmm. um, he gets his health insurance tax free. And because you mow lawns for a living and your employer can't afford to offer that benefit to you. You pay your for your health insurance with after-tax dollars. This is so, another weird discrimination against small business, too, yes, that people absolutely. never think of. You and, know? And, and not just I – mean, you and I talk small business. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is, in fact, a discrimination against uh, the less privileged. Of course. I mean, I mean, of it, course. So it's small business, but it really means not only smaller businesses, but the millions of Americans who work for smaller businesses. That's right. We, we we claim we help the little guy, but only with handouts, not with equal treatment. That's right. Uh, it's one of the most incredible uh, inequities yeah. in our entire system. And and this is this this goes back to a fascination that predates uh, well that came around during around World War Two in the nineteen forties, isn't it? This notion that 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 you will get your health care through your employer, and it seems like it's the hardest thing in the world to separate us from. Someday we should talk about it. It came about during World War Two. Yeah, and uh, and which totally created by the government. Yeah. I think they had no thought of what the consequences but we would be, yeah. but I think the consequences have been disastrous. I was headed towards saying that the last thing I began to focus on in terms of freedom was if you allow freedom to apply and uh, what will happen is that you will have a greater supply of energy. Mm-hmm. And if you have a greater supply or a plentiful supply of energy, you will not live in abhorrent poverty. The people in the world who are still burning uh, cow dung or maybe uh, what are they called? Muda beasts or whatever, yes. whatever yeah. uh, in, in Africa yeah. to, hor- to warm their houses have the worst possible living conditions. I mean, the EPA wants us all to think it's terrible here because that's what their job is. Yeah. Uh, it's nothing compared to the third world. Yeah. Uh, and if you give them energy, suddenly they can do so much more because of freedom. Yeah. I've always thought that uh, if I needed to find a one-phrase description of what I thought the job of a public servant, an elected public servant would be, but also I suppose a non-elected public servant in the bureaucracy, it, it, it coincides nicely with your concept of freedom. I always used the phrase to make everyone's life just a little bit easier. But that's the that that yep. coincides with the notion of freedom, and it does seem to me, John, that everyone. I mean, you you understand the anxieties that go around, and you've seen them grow. It seems everyone is much more stressed out, much more anxious, much more burdened, and a lot of it does come from the uh, environment that the government has given us. Yep, everyone is just you know it's and it's not just the IRS. I mean, there's a uh, 
the 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 code of federal regulations and the power that 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 they that they wield at the federal level never mind you also have state and county and 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 local levels john it's it's really amazing anyone can get anything done or keep a dollar it really is the the existence of today's massive government built on the premise that the government will remove from you all pressure and stress and will make all the important decisions in your life um, is completely antithetical to what the founders believed. And that has led us to be not just more dependent on government, so much so that you cannot ignore it anymore because it controls so much of your life, but by its expansion, it has diminished all of the other uh, forces in life. And so... Uh, religion is no longer so important. Um, I don't need to focus on my faith because the government's going to take care of me Uh, or or family uh, or family. You see this in the welfare, the the welfare system that government's going to take care of my family. So I don't need to focus on that. And and what we see then from that is a diminution in individual responsibility and a diminution in faith, uh, a diminution in self-reliance and a a less happy uh, populace. Uh, They feel less worth. And that translates into, for example, less uh, private charity. People go, well, I I don't need to give to the what is called the community fund Mm -hmm. because the government takes care of those things. I don't need to give. 10% 10% to my church because the government takes care of those things. So now you don't have to work to get paid. So you lose that sense of self-worth. You don't have to support, uh, you don't have to love your neighbor and or support him or her because the government's doing that. So what do we get to do? We get to just exist. Yeah. What's our meaning? Yeah. We've moved from in God we trust to in Gov we trust. And it's no and, kidding. And you see it all over the place. You know, there was an interesting I want to talk to you a little bit about corruption, too, and the corruption that exists in government, especially as the bureaucracy increases and in the enticements for greater government increase um, and the idea of pork that you were talking about with the colleague of yours. But before we do that, you know, there was a little bit just a hint of talk about welfare reform in the latest debt ceiling debate. And I don't want to get into that narrow area of it, but I would like, if you don't mind, John, for you when we come back on the other side of this break to just talk a little bit about what the welfare reform bill of 1996 was all about, that fight. We've we've backtracked on it almost I've, completely, all the gains we made, it, it but, but it was the most great. monumental social policy yeah. reform probably since the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And I'd love to just, as long as we're on that topic, I'd love to talk about that with you. When Absolutely. We come great. John Shattuck is my guest, Congressman John Shattuck. He and I will be right back. Welcome back uh, to the Seth Leibson Show. Congressman John Shattig is my guest, and I want to talk to him. We were talking just a little bit about the welfare programs in America, the welfare state, the devastation that uh, the reversal of the reforms that he was part and parcel of in 1996 have wrought. And I want to ask you about that 
uh, John, but before I do, my producer will wring my neck if I don't ask you a question he's wanted me to ask you for the last three visits. And I didn't <laughs> tell you and I didn't warn you. But since we play his music, he wanted me to ask you what it was like to serve with and if you ever got to know Sonny Bono. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Take, get, appease my producer. Tell him a story about Sonny. Tell him something about Sonny Bono so I can move on here. Sonny Bono was uh, an absolute character and an absolute delight. Um, I learned in serving with him uh, that he didn't. He, he followed a completely different path to politics than I did. You know, as as you've mentioned, I grew up with Goldwater sitting in our living room talking with my dad about various things going on in the world and the country. And uh, I I don't think I decided early on that I. That fighting for freedom was the thing I cared about most in life. But at some point, I decided I definitely wanted to run uh, for Congress, uh, and I wanted to help save the country. And it became kind of the all-consuming interest of my life. Well, Sonny Bono's life was totally different. <laughs> uh, he grew up in the, in the singing and entertainment world. Um, at some point, I guess he moves to Palm Springs. Uh, he's living there. He's now famous. I think this is after he and uh, yeah, it was after he name. and Cher divorced. But he yes, married after their divorce. Mary, I think yes, right. right. Uh, and um, he he would literally at the most critical moments uh, when our caucus was a on the verge of physical violence mm-hmm. with each of us, mm-hmm. he would stop the room and tell a personal story and crack the place up. Oh, I bet he there had a million. There was <laughs> nobody who could risk his, his humor. But we talk about conservatives yeah. and about preserving values and about what role the government should play. And I remember perhaps the most famous, although if I thought about it, I could think of others, uh, incident was uh, we were at war with each other and uh, – Lindsey Graham did that also at times. He would crack us up. But uh, Newt was mad. Uh, He was livid with the freshman class this particular day. He was mad at us for being unreasonable and for not supporting him on something. And it could have been one of those classic things where Newt had said one day, okay, we're going to do X. (laughs) You guys were on X and he had, (laughs) yeah. And and the next day he comes into conference and says, no, we're going to do the antithesis of X. And we all kind of tilted our heads and said, what? Yeah. And that was Newt's brilliance. And I admire him to this day. Nobody is his equal. But in this particular instance, it got really hot. And I would say in the course of any given year in Congress, in those early years, that would happen two times a year, maybe at worst three times a year, where it could get really hot. And it was typically the old bulls wanted to lynch the young bucks and... uh Sonny stopped us, and or Sonny sought to be uh, recognized, and he got recognized, and he said, well, you know, I, I kind of learned my view of government when I was building and opening my restaurant in Palm Springs. And he would then proceed to tell stories about how the city building inspectors would come to his restaurant and inspect it and insist upon the most absurd <laughs> indefensible changes imaginable it wasn't that they would come in and say your wiring isn't up to code 
in this particular story, I think one of the pieces of the story that I remember is they came in and insisted on a change in the paint color of the interior of the building. And it was a change from a color I think they had picked. <laughs> and, you know, and he said, I get protecting public safety. I, I got it. If my electrical wiring isn't up to code, my employees could get hurt. My uh, uh, customers could get hurt. If they want to come in and tell me about that or the fire suppression system in my kitchen wasn't up to snuff, uh, a fire could kill people. But he said they literally would come in and say things like, you know, uh, last time we were here, we told you to paint it this shade of purple. And now that we're here and see it, we don't like it. And and we're not going to give you a certificate to open the restaurant until you change that color. And the stories were of that nature. And he would tell them in a way I can't come close to. But the entire Republican conference would be laughing so hard they'd be crying because yeah. um, he was a storyteller like that. Yeah. And you don't get that from listening to him sing. He was a you know, the great singer, and he and Cher you know, entertained you a lot of time, and there were plenty of their songs that I loved. Yeah. Um, but he, was, he could crack the place up. And a conservative. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, but his, he learned, instead of growing up in politics, he learned about overarching government. He got the thump from the government. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. he said... After about the fifth time they delayed his opening, you know, he said, God damn it, I'm going to run for mayor. Yeah. Then the next thing you know, he's in Congress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he served uh, until he, he, he passed away in Congress. He right? was killed. Yeah. yeah. Killed yeah. skiing in yeah. a skiing accident. Yeah. But, but he literally said, uh, you know, if they're abusing their power so much as to come into my restaurant and delay its opening because they didn't like the carpet or they didn't like the color of the walls they'd specified – this system needs to be reformed. So yeah. uh, it, that was what caused him to decide to run. Yeah. And he became a, a you know, great and popular mayor and then a member of Congress. And his conservatism, his resentment of overarching government yeah. was based on personal experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. OK. Thank you, David. Can I move on now to. Uh, <laughs> okay. I really appreciate that. Okay. I can come up with more. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we'll sprinkle. bonus stories. Everybody loved him. We'll, Literally. We'll everybody. Sprinkle, we'll sprinkle. I would like to hear about the welfare reform fight. Um, it was it was passed by the Republican Congress twice, as I recall, without Bill Clinton's support. And on the third time, I think if memory serves, Dick Morris heading into a con- into the 96 election convinced him you have got to sign on to this. And at the time, I remember being I remember this this fight so well. And a lot of the work from uh, some folks from Brookings, some folks from Heritage, Robert Rector, some uh, Myron Magnet City, Manhattan Institute. I remember that at the time, it was seen as perhaps the greatest, as I said, uh, domestic policy reform we may have ever engaged in, the kind that you didn't even think would be possible um, since probably the 1960s, if not the 64 Civil Rights Act. And it was also one of those things that kind of came up from the states. I remember, I think if I'm not mistaken, it was Tommy Thompson of Wisconsin who kind of set the template for it. And, of course, uh, a lot of it was proven on the ground in New York. Let me take the break and have okay. you tell the story from the congressional perspective Happy to. when we come right back. I'm Seth. He's John Shadigan. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have Congressman John Shattig in my uh, studios, as we do every Wednesdays. John, welfare reform. Uh, we talked a little bit about what welfare had been uh, doing to our communities and our country. And you guys did something about it. You did something really big about it in 1996, I believe it was. Tell us about that. We did. As I sit here and think about it, uh, what it brings back to mind was or is the contract with America. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you, because I don't have a great memory, uh, sitting here at this moment, if it was one of the 10 items in the contract with America, but I think it was. I'd have to pull out a copy, and I, I, I'll try to make myself do that when I get home. Um, the contract with America was, in some ways, uh, great for the nation, but it was also, in some ways, great for the freshman class, mm-hmm. because uh, one of if you have a change in the majority— and you get there by pledging reform, the standard for politicians is to talk about reform and never never do reform. But because Newt had come up with the idea and then really done a lot of work in the time span between 1992 and 1994, when we ran on the contract, They worked hard, I mean long hours, developing the contract. But once they had produced it, and I have one of my best friends in the Congress was a member who had been elected in 92, two years ahead of me, and he had worked hard on developing it. Um, But it was a blueprint that we could hold the old bulls too. I'm I'm guessing Rick Santorum had a part in it as well, if I'm not mistaken. I think think that's right. um, But but the, the kind of the... I'll call it the worst of the old bulls who were Republicans, but by and large Republicans in name only. Uh, I used to say they became Republicans after they got after they decided to run. You know, they wake up one day and decide, you know, I'd like to be in Congress. That'd be really cool. I would get to the adulation and I'd get to go to Washington. Uh, And then they say to themselves, well, if I want to be a congressman, what what party do I have to be in where I live? And that's when they decided to be a Republican, and that's all they knew about politicians Republican. first. Yeah, yeah politicians yeah. first, yeah. Uh, and that's all they knew about Republican philosophy. It was zip zero none. Oh, once I got elected, oh well, yeah, I guess I guess because Republicans are for a smaller government, I am. But of course, that doesn't mean smaller government in my district. No, right. I mean, we're still going to bring home pork because that's how I get reelected, and the Valhalla is getting reelected, not moving the country uh, to smaller government or greater freedom. Um, so uh, the contract was a gift to all of us, and our goal was to keep our word. Uh, we were going to change the way Washington works. Having made promises by God, we were going to fulfill those promises. At the end of the day, uh, the, one of the quick phrases that got applied to my class and not completely unfairly was that we didn't change Washington. Washington changed us. Uh, And Matt Salmon was famous for saying uh, changing Washington is like turning around a super tanker in the Panama Canal. Um, So um, welfare was kind of the number one issue was balance the budget. And as you know, we did Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the last times it's been done. uh, And that was a ton of work. But it's kind of interesting in life. The some of the smallest or seemingly easiest or most logical changes become the hardest 
and the most important. Um, if you asked an average American, uh, well, what's a concept or a principle underlying American government? And they would say, uh, they would not say paying people to do nothing. Mm-hmm. Or, nor would they say giving money away for free. They might say, look, those who are lucky enough, privileged by God, blessed by God to have great skills and who have the most have a moral obligation to those who don't have those gifts and can't support themselves. So I think uh, the vast majority of Republicans say, look, if somebody is handicapped or disabled or doesn't have the intellectual ability to meet their living requirements, we have a duty as the more blessed in that society to help them. But that doesn't include giving away something to people who just choose not to work. If you choose not to be productive. And of course, famously, Nancy Pelosi later said about about uh, Obamacare. Well, if some guy just wants to spend his life playing the guitar. We ought to we ought to pay for his health care. Yeah. So it was an important change. It turned out to be uh, a fight but a fight where we had the people behind us, and those are the best fights. Um, I think the single most shocking thing to me was two things. One, Clinton vetoing it the first time, two times, and then ratifying all of our arguments by signing it the third time. Let me let me pick like, up on that on the other side of the break. Yeah, right. I remember that. <laughs> and you knew the people were on his side when on your side when Dick Morris was telling Bill Clinton, "You got to do this." We'll be right back. John Shattig is my guest, Congressman John Shattig, uh, representing uh, the old 4th Congressional District here for 16 years, part of the famous class of 94. We were talking about uh, the great reform you guys engaged in in 96, which was the welfare reform legislation, and finally got Bill Clinton to to sign it and then ratify all the arguments you right. were making. He realized how popular it was, and he then made it his own. And He did make yeah, it his own. When, yeah. he, when he signed it, you yeah. But from his rhetoric, you thought it was his idea from the get go. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> right. Um, and then, you know, over time, because of part, in part because of what Matt Salmon said, and in part because of there's just this blob. I remember Secretary Bill Bennett used to talk about when he was Secretary of Education, he sometimes felt like he was the captain of a ship when he made pronouncements about education and education reform and legislation that he was turning the wheel, but it wasn't connected to anything underneath, you know? <laughs> and and um, and the truth of the matter is it is connected, but it's connected to a, Democrat, a democratic bureaucracy, but also a lot of pressure groups, a lot of welfare uh, reform opponents, but a wel- welfare proponent pressure groups. And over the course of, uh, I would say, within the next decade and or so, decade yep. and a half, we pretty much lost it all. We pretty much lost the work required. We lost it all. It's, it's one of the things that is completely hard to understand. Uh, and, and in part, you have to mention the kind of the interregnum or what happened in between. Uh, it was it was vindicating to see uh, Clinton sign it and then embrace it and claim it as his. But the real test was, well, what would it do? And welfare roles plummeted uh, by any fair analysis for those who could work. They, in fact, did work. And then interview after interview uh, would 
they would themselves say, man, am I glad somebody got me off the couch and out from in front of the TV and out working. And that led to a boom in the economy and uh, more employment and people feeling better about themselves, living productive lives and then making vastly more money than they could make on welfare. And then, as you said, in this in a stunningly short period of time, I mean, if it had changed in 50 years, you might have understood it. But it changed, like you said, in 10 to 15 years, it changed very rapidly. And we kind of woke up one day. There was a Democrat majority uh, that came along and Nancy Pelosi and her crew. And suddenly the work requirements were gone. And you discover, well, the work requirement in this particular program went away this year. Uh, and you'd focus on that. And then you'd look around and say, Wow, it went away in that program and that program yeah. and that program and that program. And it all happened kind of sub rosa. So you say to yourself, so, well, wh- why? And, and this is where uh, I think some people who don't think about philosophy, what we came to realize is um, there is no limit on the desire of some to create government dependency um, and the notion that you might actually be harming people by giving them money they weren't earning, didn't deserve, had done nothing for, uh, not talking about the people in need, but the people not uh, it, unable to care for themselves, people who could have cared for themselves, we just bulldoze money to them. And the other thing that I think Republicans or conservatives sometimes point out is that the left wants you to be dependent on government because then they control you and the party of government and the party of government, right. which they are. Right. Uh, but so so the repeal of welfare of work requirements for me became the most solid proof that the left doesn't want more government programs because they care about you. They want more government programs at no cost, one, to get power, and two, to control you. Mm -hmm. Because if they can decide, uh, if they can dictate how you conduct yourselves by rewarding money or not, or giving benefits or not, then they have control of your life. And that's what ultimately they want. You really really think about it the way you put it, John, and it's it's quite a – it's kind of – quite a disin – disenchanting notion that you have a party that wants to take away self-empowerment of the people to only empower further empower and entrench the power of themselves in, in government. And, and it's, it's, it's almost a perversion. It is a perversion. It is Public a perversion service. of human nature. People, I think, were created by God to take responsibility for their lives, and they are happier when they do. And in the name of empowering themselves— uh, the left and the Democrats say, no, 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 we can't trust those people to make their own decisions. And what they really say is they're not smart enough. They're not bright enough uh, to care for themselves or to make prudent decisions. You know, if we let them, for God's sake, they'd keep buying gasoline cars. Yeah. Uh, and so instead, we have to distort the market um, and, and and use the market industrial policy to uh, incentivize people to do what the government leaders believe is right not what the people themselves believe is right. So democracy actually enables a fight between the people who want to do what they believe is right in their lives and 
the ruling class, which we're kind of seeing a revolt today against the ruling class, who genuinely believe they know better, or at least they say they do. But in reality, what they're saying is we should exercise power. Yeah, the paternalism is hard to extract out of people who think. Newt Gingrich used to describe, he said, you know, you could have this guy just living his normal life, uh, doing the one thing he knows how to do in anywheresville, Wisconsin. He gets elected to Congress. All of a sudden, he becomes the expert on everything, right? There, yep. is, there, there is that self-entitlement as well as self-empowerment as it takes away the entitlement and empowerment and of the people. And it vastly grows their egos. Right. And the more power they get, the more power they want. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so and, and the more they justify it by saying, I know better yeah. than you do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, John, listen, you're you're you were so great. We had so many topics we wanted to get to today. We didn't even get a chance to scratch them. But that's what next week is. for. Absolutely. Thanks for being with us. John Shattuck is always head of Shattuck Associates, former congressman uh, for uh, four. Let's see. Four times. Four, yeah. Sixteen years. Yeah. Sixteen years. It's a good run. It was. Can we send you back? Yeah, no, I don't think so. That's I heard. I heard doubt in there. I heard not I, to the house. That was not a solid answer. Okay, good. Not to we'll the take house. it. We'll run. Then they're it. done. That <laughs> we'll we'll, figure, we'll find another office or create one. <laughs> Thank you, John. I'll be right back. Bank failures, possible recession, inflation, stock market volatility. Why re- Why refi? has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. A portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi. Y-Refi is headquartered here locally, and I encourage you to stop by their offices and visit with them. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. You won't get a sales pitch. No one's going to ask you to sign anything. And when you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust and like them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm. As I say, you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. One, one of the things I wanted to talk to John about, and as I say, we just ran out of time. We have a lot for next week we'll do with him, John Shattuck is a debate that comes up from time to time, particularly with members of Congress who are, unlike the Senate, supposedly more, uh, unlike the Senate, closer to the people they represent, um, because they represent, obviously, a a smaller group of people. Um, The debate whether the congressman should exercise his own judgment uh, on any given matter or be the voice of and exercise the judgment of the majority of his constituency because they're not always the same thing. And it's a great debate that goes back, my gosh, a long time, even all the way back to Edmund Burke, who in his uh, speech to the uh, sheriffs of Bristol uh, took on that question. It's uh, maybe a good homework assignment. Uh, Go read Edmund Burke's uh, uh, speech to the sheriffs of Bristol. David always takes these homework assignments. He just saluted me. Where what Burke concluded was, um, no, you are not their rubber stamp. What you owe the people who elect you is your judgment. You owe them your judgment. 
and if your judgment fails, then they will take you out of office. But they will never take you out of office if all you do is represent whatever the whims of the majority at any given time support. And uh, I want I wanted to talk to John about how much pressure he felt on that one way or the other and what, what the Congress looked like then uh, in his class with regard to that debate. Anyway, we'll save it, but it does, it does give me an opportunity to give out the homework assignment of reading Edmund Burke, which is always a worthwhile thing to do. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. Um, till tomorrow, David, thank you. I'm Seth Liebson, and uh, God bless you all. Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.